0: everything's good to go we are good to go welcome to everybody who's watching and listening I believe we have folks around the community and folks in at least five or six states here in the United States that have been listening to us but most of all I would like to take an opportunity to welcome our brothers and sisters from the Philippines and from Poland and from Canada who have been watching and listening we love you very very much We are delighted to have you join us. If you are so inclined, please say hello to us. And we love you and we will remember you in our prayers. So, welcome once again and God bless you. We'll meet you one day, one way or the other. As is our custom, I'll take you to the Global Prayer Guide, Voice of the Martyrs, and the nation that I will bring to your attention to pray for uh, today and always, really, particularly today and in the coming week, are Christian believers in the African nation of Nigeria. The Voice of the Martyrs has designated Nigeria as a hostile country. Nigeria is sharply divided along religious lines with a Muslim-dominated north and a majority Christian south. There are more than 80 million professing Christians in Africa's most populous nation, the fruit of both pioneer mission work and the return of freed slaves who carried the gospel with them to the continent from Europe following the abolition of slavery in England in 1833. Foreign missionary activity in the Muslim majority north has declined significantly over the past 10 years, however, as a result of the emergence of the Islamic militant group Boko Haram. Based in the North, Boko Haram is affiliated with Al-Qaeda and has also aligned itself with the self-proclaimed Islamic State. Although Boko Haram appears to have weakened in the Northeast, it is believed to be the source of increasing attacks on Christian villages by a group of militant Fulani herdsmen, a tribe known for its strict adherence to Islam. They have attacked Christian villages for many years, and in the last two years they have committed more acts of extreme violence against Christians than any other group globally. Muslims in the north want to create a separate country governed by Sharia or Islamic law, and those in the middle states such as Kaduna, Plateau, Bayoua and Abuya are strategic in the battle. The terrorist groups want to drive Christians out of these mixed states and continue their push for an Islamic nation. The nation is divided between Christians and Sunni Muslims, with most, most Christians in the south most Muslims in the north. Boko Haram militants and Fulani Islamic militants work together to target Christian villages for destruction. Nearly all Christians in northeastern Nigeria have lost a family member in attacks by Boko Haram or Islamic Fulani militants. Entire congregations have been displaced and many pastors have been forced to leave the region entirely. Being active in the church looks much different than it did 15 years ago. Today it takes great courage and faith to openly worship and serve Christ. Thousands of Christians remain in camps designated for internally displaced people. With few schools able to function because of the violence, families are concerned about their children's education. Life is a constant struggle and in some places it's even difficult to find food. Famine in the north has resulted from ongoing jihadi activities. Farmers are not working because of their fear of attack, food shipments are stolen, and Falani Christians are often detained for short periods in community prisons based on Islamic Sharia law. While Bibles are plentiful in the South, there is a great need for them in the North. Many Bibles have been lost in attacks and as people are displaced. Most people do not own Bibles. Even if they were available, few in the North could actually afford one. Voice of the Martyrs supports widows who have lost husbands in Islamic attacks and trains and equips pastors in the north. We also provide study Bibles, New Testaments, and other Christian discipleship literature to believers. So obviously there is a very, very great need for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. So please remember these folks in your prayers today and this following week. Always. By the way, again, I encourage you to get one of these. I'm sure Voice of the Martyrs will be delighted to send you one if you uh, ask for one. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the warm November weather that we have had lately. We thank you for it and are very, very grateful. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus from Poland, from the Philippines, from Canada, and from a large variety of regions in five, six states or so in the US and our folks in Ohio, in this region, in this uh, community who have been watching and listening. Bless these folks. Those who need salvation, draw them to eternal salvation in Jesus our Lord. Those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, fill their souls full of the joy and happiness of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word and we are very grateful for them joining us for our studies of the word of god we pray for claudia and for her treatments and for her healing thank you for her health and for her witness and for her example and her testimony we thank you for all prayer requests of folks known and unknown who belong to our church or who are related to our church we pray for brother ed and his retirement this next month Bless he and his wife and his family in his retirement. I know they are busy people, they will not be idle. Bless their pursuits for your kingdom and in your name after his retirement, and we pray for a suitable replacement to serve this community by way of this local YMCA. Uh, We pray, of course, for the situation of our country and for its very survival and for our freedom and for our liberty. And help we, the people, to defend our freedom and liberty, not only for our own sakes, but for the sake of the people of the world, wherever this contest may lead us, whatever the cost may be. We trust in you, that your sovereign will over this nation and all nations will be done. And we look forward to the return of King Jesus, where every knee will bow to him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the evil of communism will be gone forever. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and all of the brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ the world over that we have been praying for these many months. Fill them with the power of your spirit to walk this life's pilgrimage wisely and well. We pray for the salvation of their friends, their family members, and their neighbors. Fill them with courage and with the hope of the truth of your word. The promise of your divine plan is given to us by your spirit to the blessed apostles. Inspired and preserved for all of these centuries and for time immemorial. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. We thank you for the divine plan given to us in this wonderful letter to our brothers and sisters in Ephesus so long ago. Help us to follow in the footsteps of all of these believers that I've mentioned in this prayer, to be inspired by them, to follow in their footsteps, to be faithful to you whatever the cost may be, wherever this may lead us. We know the grand plan, we know where it's all headed, we know how it all ends. Help us to do our duty faithfully through all of the details that we encounter on a daily basis. Bless everyone that's watching and everyone that's listening. Help them by the power of your Spirit to translate these words into action in their life. And to live their life under its truth. And by way of its truth. Forgive us of our sins, our faults, and our failures where we have failed you. Forgive us, Lord. Pick us up. Clean us up. Set us on our way. In the power of your Spirit and the truth of your Word, give us wisdom and guidance for decisions, easy and hard ones, that we have to make on a daily base, basis, and we'll have to make in future days. Give these folks the joy of your felt presence today and in the following week, weeks and months to come. May the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you this day, this moment, this hour, O oh Lord our God, our one and only rock and redeemer, and you who are our only hope, and you who are more than hope enough for one and for all. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Today's passage in our journey through the letter to the church, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. If I can get my notes to behave here. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Paul's stewardship. Paul gets a bit personal today concerning himself and his mission and his commission from Christ himself. Ephesians 3, 1-10, Paul's stewardship. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in or by way of the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me, according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration, or the plan, of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, in order... That the manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, even to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. These are the words of the Lord by our brother Paul. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So Paul is speaking of his role in the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel revealed, or the revelation of of the gospel mystery, Paul's stewardship of the gospel, the good news message of the person and work of Christ, being revealed out of this mysterious divine plan, which was slowly but surely being revealed over centuries and centuries, but is now in the first century A.D., according to Paul, been fully revealed to the entire world, not only to the Jewish people that their Messiah has come, but to the Gentile world as, as well. The Jewish Messiah was to come for all ethnicities, all the peoples of the world. Paul gets very personal, explaining his calling, his stewardship that was personally given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, his stewardship, his ministry as an apostolon, a sent one, to the Gentiles in particular. This was to assure these folks in ancient Ephesus, who were mostly converted pagan Gentiles, that they do have a genuine, authentic, guaranteed share in the inheritance of the kingdom of God in the world to come. And that is authentic because its origin, Paul emphasizes, is divine. He didn't make this up. It's of divine origin given to him. And he was given a divine order, a divine mandate, a divine commission to give it to the Gentile world. So in verses 1-7, to 7, Paul speaks personally. He relates and reflects upon his calling. His life's mission and work, his commission from Christ to serve as a gospel minister or servant, as the word is literally translated, to the Gentiles. The call of his apostleship, his apostolic work. He, as a proclaimer of good news in the gospel, is sent from God. By the way, this man, without any hubris or arrogance or pride, can say he was a gift from God. His life's mission and work was, is, a gift from God to the Gentile world, and all by the grace of God. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and for the sake of you Gentiles, so for this reason, that is, because of my mission to proclaim this gospel, this good news of the person and work of the arrived Jewish Messiah, for this reason, the truth that I have been teaching and proclaiming to you in this letter because of all the truth I have given you when I first arrived in Ephesus to preach the gospel because of all the truth that I've given you in this letter and will give you in this letter for this reason I Paul ego Paulos or you could translate that as even I Paul I Paul personally he is part of the divine plan by the grace of God to bring the good news of salvation in Christ God the Son to the Gentile world. And for this reason, I, Paul, I'm a prisoner. I'm in confinement. I'm in imprisonment. Because I'm actually a prisoner of Christ for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of my mission, which is for your sake, the sake of the Gentiles, the Gentile world. Now let's pick this apart, what he means by the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of of you Gentiles. From a temporal, physical point of view, who has him in custody? The Roman Imperium, Pax Romana, the Roman state. What do you mean you're a prisoner of Christ Jesus? You're a prisoner of the Emperor. After all, you yourself, before the Roman governor in Palestine, I appeal to Caesar. I place myself under the protective custody of the Roman state and as a Roman citizen, exercising that Roman citizenship, which was highly coveted and Paul used a few times to his advantage, I appeal to the emperor himself. So I will be taken to Rome and I will have a hearing under Roman confinement and custody before the emperor." But That's not quite what he says here, now is it? I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not for breaking the law or even for the sake of my lawful and legal appeal, to have a proper trial in Rome. I am a prisoner, actually, of Christ Jesus, and for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul, of course, endured imprisonment at least several times that he mentions. In the service of Christ, he mentions, obviously, his imprisonment. This letter, Book of Acts, Colossians, Philippians, Second Timothy, Philemon, or Philemon. In all of these books, or all of these letters, he has mentioned as enduring confinement. Or imprisonment. And so, and he may very well have been confined or jailed a couple of other occasions that we're ignorant of, that we don't know about. So he refers to himself as actually being Christ's prisoner, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means Christ is in control. Christ is the sovereign, whom Paul really is in custody for. He is in custody not because of the Roman state or the Roman Empire, he is in custody because of King Jesus and the kingdom of the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, God the Son. It is Christ's agenda that is being fulfilled in his imprisonment. And that agenda includes that the saving message of the Christ will go to the Gentile world, all of the known world. It's Christ's kingdom. It's Christ's agenda. It's Christ's sovereignty, not that of Emperor Nero or the Roman Empire. So he refers to himself as actually being Christ's prisoner. Christ is in control here, not Paul's human captors. They may have meant Paul's imprisonment for evil or at least for some sort of interrogation to try to get to the bottom of what this Christian movement over there in Palestine is all about. But Christ, the true sovereign, means Paul's imprisonment for good, for his kingdom, for his people, for his agenda. It's his sovereign plan for the sake of you Gentiles." So Paul is saying, well here I am in confinement and imprisonment and at this particular time I jolly well know by the Spirit of God that it's all about you. I'm actually serving you even from here in my confinement and imprisonment on my way to my hearing. By the way in that first trial, that first hearing that he received before the Emperor, he was acquitted. He was exonerated. He was set free. So I'm actually Christ's prisoner for your sake. I'm accomplishing good things for your sake. This is Christ's plan for my confinement. And you're saying, well, what in the world good can come out of that confinement? You're reading it. You're holding it in your hands. This man, under the inspiration of the Spirit, in his confinement, is writing to the church in Ephesus. He is writing a substantial portion of what you will call the New Testament. The inspired Word of God. That's quite a con- confinement accomplishment now, isn't it? For your sake not only for the sake of the Ephesians, but for the sake of billions of people who will be redeemed from 2,000 years from the time he penned this letter to this present day. Verse 2, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. So Paul tells us that he is a steward. He has stewardship responsibility of God's grace. Or let me express it for you this way. He is a steward of the message of God the grace and favor of God to sinners, the gospel, the good news of God the Son. The stewardship of the gospel message was given to him by Jesus Christ our Lord himself. Remember Paul's commission on the road to Damascus. The risen Christ personally appeared to this man and commissioned him to be the apostle, the sent one to the Gentiles. For you. There's not any Jewish folks in this room So by association and extension, for you, you Gentiles, Paul served you, the great apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles then, Gentiles now. For you, for the sake of you Gentiles, you folks the world over who we have to get the good news message of salvation to. You who have received the gospel in your time and have believed. Stewardship is... Kind of interesting. It's, a re- it's, it's something of an official term. It's something of a homey term. The word he uses is oikonomia or ekonomos from the Greek word oikos, meaning house or home. And oikonomos or ekonomia means household management, household manager. It's interesting he chooses that word. He's speaking of the manager, management. Paul is saying he is an apostolic manager who exercises management care over the gospel. Put it together. He is a gospel manager sent out to exercise gospel management to the Gentiles, building his church in this world. Verse 3, And by revelation, that is, by divine revelation, the Holy Spirit revealing truth to the apostle, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. That revelation there was made known to me, that is, by divine revelation again, Paul received from Christ, from the Holy Spirit, revelations of divine truth concerning this divine plan that's now fully revealed, concerning the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the person and work of Christ. This is all to be given to the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, as part of his mission. Revelations of the mystery as I wrote before in brief. He began to teach us of the mystery of the divine plan last week that he wrote before briefly in this letter up to this point. Let me give you the word for mystery there again. It's important. It's a word, musterion. We've had this word before. Mosterion, obviously, is a Koine Greek word by which we come by the English word mystery. And you're thinking probably of a different kind of mystery than Paul uses musterion. Uh, mystery to us is a conundrum that either Sherlock Holmes, my favorite, or Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple is going to have to solve. And that's not what musterion means. Now mysterion can mean something that is something of a mental conundrum that needs to be opened up and examined and discovered, but it also means something that is a secret, a deliberately kept secret. In this context, Paul is re- referring to a deliberately kept divine plan that God in ages and centuries and generations past kept as a secret, but he was slowly revealing it as this divine plan of redemption for humanity was working itself out through the lives of the prophets in ancient Israel. But now, at the perfect time in the divine plan for the Messiah to arrive, the focal point of all of history the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Well, now in this era of redemptive history, this era of the new covenant, the church age, this plan is now fully revealed. It's no longer a mystery. It's no longer a secret. It's all out in the open now. And with the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, working in the lives of the Christian church and the apostles, the Holy Spirit gives all the details to this divine plan to set it all out in the open to fully reveal it to everyone in the world who will hear and who will receive, Jew and Gentile. That's what he means by mystery. The mystery of the divine plan kept secret for ages but was slowly being revealed and now after the arrival of the Christ it's all to be revealed. This revealed mysterion of the new era, the era of the new covenant, of the divine plan, this era of the truth of the gospel, The new covenant era of the people of the church, the new people of God in this age, in this era of history, Jew and Gentile, all being brought together into one people, all being brought together into, remember what he called us last week, a temple where the presence of God dwells in this world, at this era of history. This mystery is now fully revealed and it's being given to the Gentiles. That's Paul's life's mission. That's his commission to give it to the Gentiles as well as Jews. Good news for all people. The truth that Paul has written about briefly as part of this letter. Verse 4. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand or perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Or allow me to give you the ESV translation, which many of you have. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Actually, I think perhaps the best translation of the end of that is the mystery which is Christ. This plan is Jesus himself. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. His very person and work is the good news. We need to clarify that. There's a lot of spurious gospels going around America these days. Even in a lot of churches, they don't have a clue what the real gospel is. Ask folks what the gospel is. You'll get some very interesting answers. Various and sundry answers. Hopefully, pray God, one of them will be the right one. I'll make it short for you, and absolutely accurate. The gospel is Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Son Himself. Who He is, what He is, and what He came to do. So Christ, slowly being revealed... Who he is, what he is, when he's going to arrive, what's going to happen when he arrives. Revealed over history. Now fully revealed, now that he has arrived, Paul most earnestly strives. He works very hard with all of his might to give to Gentiles the full knowledge and understanding of this revealed plan of salvation, worked out through the ancient prophesied Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So again... This is Paul. He's getting very personal here. This is my life's mission. This is the reason why I live and breathe. This is the reason why I'm sent to Rome. This is the reason why I'm in confinement. This is what my life is right now. To get the good news of the ancient Jewish Messiah to you Gentiles. He's for you. Never forget that. You are being drawn into the people of God and the kingdom as well. Philogen S. M. Bauer writes in his commentary, quote, "To modern readers of Ephesians who may own multiple Bibles, it may seem trivial for Paul to say in verses three and four that one can reread what he has just written previously. But you have to remember, if one is hearing this letter for the very first time, it assumes that a copy of this letter would be made available for future reference. And for personal study, Paul fully expects this letter to be studied over and over, reheard and re-read, as indeed his letters have been for two thousand years thus far. End quote verse five, into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations at his times past was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by way of the Holy Spirit. Okay? interesting thing to say, isn't it? Paul is saying that there really was no previous generation in the past amongst God's people who could have completely understood, who could have fully understood, who could have completely or fully comprehended the full extent of all that God would accomplish through His Son, the Messiah, the Christ. Oh, they had some understanding and a certain expectancy and they were saved, as we say. They received salvation by placing their faith in God and by placing their faith in the Messiah who was to come. But at that time in history they didn't fully understand it. They didn't have all the details. The plan wasn't fully made known to them. They couldn't have comprehended the whole picture. Paul now gives you the whole picture by which to live your life by. They didn't have all the details, simply, of what was to come and what was to be accomplished by the Christ. If you notice, Paul is uh, certainly speaking in traditional Jewish fashion here. In typical Jewish fashion, Paul divides history into two parts, or two halves. The ancient Jewish people divided history into two parts, two halves. This age, that is, history as we know it, experience, encounter it. This life as we know it and experience it, and the age to come. The eternal age, the age of the Messiah in his consummated kingdom, heaven. Paul does the same thing. Notice he divides history into two eras, two halves, two ages. First of all, there's redemptive history before the coming of the Christ, and now there is redemptive history after the arrival of the Christ. After Jesus' perfect life, His ministry, His atoning death, His resurrection and ascension. That's the time, of course, that we're living in now. And this is the last great era in history before the divine plan is all wrapped up. When the Messiah comes back. That's why the apostles say we are in the last days. The last days didn't begin in 1948. They didn't begin in 1972. And they didn't begin a week or so ago. The last days begin the day after Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, because we are in the last age, and one of these days will be the last day. Okay. So, redemptive history before the coming of the Christ, when everybody was wondering about him and looking forward to him, and now that he's arrived, this last era in history, the church era, the era of the new covenant after he has arrived. Okay, the time we're in now good time to be alive in spite of all the terrible things that we see in this world. Why? Because the full meaning, the full significance of the person and work of Jesus the Christ has been fully revealed to you by way of his commissioned ambassadors, his herald, his emissaries, the apostles, and the early church era prophets. Also take note here, very important point, let's not run over it. Paul states that it is the Holy Spirit of God who is responsible for fully revealing the mystery of the Christ to the apostles and prophets. This is a particular work of the third person of the Trinity in this era in history. He makes the plan fully known to his people and in the first century AD to the inspired apostles who would record the divine plan fully for you and I 2000 years later. give you another ESV study Bible note, those of you who have it look at your textual notes on this verse. Quote, "...while in the Old Testament era, while Moses and the prophets had written of the Christ and his salvation to the ends of the earth, and while God had even promised to Abraham, right, the father of the Jewish race, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, that means the coming of the Messiah, the full realization of who the Christ was and the extent of the salvation that would come to the Gentiles was not clear until after the coming of the Holy Spirit." end quote. It's going to start coming clear on the day of Pentecost at the arrival of the Spirit in a new and dramatic way as never before. Verse 6, to be specific that the Gentiles, as you folks, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers or sharers of the promise in Christ Jesus through or by way of the gospel, the good news message about Him. So, this mystery, that the gen- part of this mystery, now fully revealed, is that you folks, you're not on the outside looking in anymore. You're not hapless and helpless without any hope. You are now to be fellow heirs, fellow members of this same body of people set aside for God's plan and purpose. And you are now a fellow partaker, a sharer of this promise. In Jesus the Christ, God the Son, through the gospel message, that's all about him, that's been given to you. So now Paul gives another important part of the fully revealed plan of God for salvation. Another part of the mystery of the gospel now fully revealed is that the Gentiles, you and I, are to be included into God's redeemed people. They are to be fellow heirs of the Messiah's kingdom. They are to be included as fellow members of the body of God's people drawn out of all humanity for His plan and purpose in eternity. And they, Gentiles, are as well to be sharers of all the divine promises of salvation that God gave to the ancient Jewish people. They will be sharers in the promises of salvation. New life in Christ, all that it means and all that it brings, through or by way of the gospel, that is the good news message of, which is the person and work of the Christ. An essential part of the revealed mystery is that Gentile believers share equally with Jewish believers. And all the blessings of the new covenant in Christ this is very very important for these Ephesian Gentiles and for all Gentiles a world over then and now and this really should be amazing to us because each and every one of us who is a Gentile believer If you go far enough back into your ancestry, you will find some of the most evil and disgusting paganism that you can imagine. And even though you were born in 20th century America, thank God Almighty, you have been saved from all of that as a Gentile. And it may be a bit different Sometimes as crass, sometimes not as crass. But I think you will agree with me when I say there is rank paganism in the United States of America. Today, Jew and Gentile, thank God, is to be saved from all of that. That's what he's saying. Verse 7, "...of which I was made a servant, a minister, according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me." according to the working of his power. So this mystery, this divine plan, kept secret for generations past, slowly being revealed over time. Now the fully revealed gospel message, it's the perfect time in the plan. I'm a minister of this. I serve this. The word that he uses for minister or servant is diaconos. Sound familiar? It's the word by which we come by the English word deacon. Now he is not referring to the official church office, of deacon. Paul's not saying, I'm a deacon. Paul wasn't a deacon. He was an elder. He was an apostle. But the word deacon before it came to actually, or diaconos, before it came to actually mean uh, an officially recognized, if you will, office in the church, it simply means minister. It means servant, one who serves. In particular, it means a servant who serves in some sort of a pit- official capacity or responsibility that they've been given in particular, people connected to service rendered to God. He is a servant to God, and he is a servant to God's people. His God's people who will be drawn out of the Gentile world. So Paul's saying he serves both God and his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ as a diakonos, a servant. What does he serve up? He serves up the gospel, the word of God. Reminds me of John MacArthur. God bless him and his church who were fighting for freedom and liberty in Communist California. Reminds me of something he said about what's the job of a preacher? What's the job of a teaching elder? It's really very, very simple. The job of a preacher or a teaching elder is to serve this to the people. A table waiter, serving the sheep, feeding the sheep, Serving up the food of God's word to the sheep and get the food to the table without messing it up. It's really very simple. That's what Paul says he is. I am your servant serving up the gospel to you, even you Gentiles. According to the gift of God's grace which was given to me. And he says this in astonishment and wonder. Paul is duty bound, you see. He is duty bound to serve God, to serve Christ the church. Paul serves out of love and profound gratitude for the grace of God that he himself has received. These ladies sang that wonderful old hymn, probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous Christian hymn ever written, John Newton's Amazing Grace. Wouldn't Brother John Newton appreciate this, and he would say the same thing. According to the gift of God's grace which was given to me, that man was one of the most horrible people. Read his biography, please. It will be one of the most amazing transformations that you've ever read of, of a human being. And yes, he can do it for you as well. According to the working of his power. The word powerful there is a powerful word. It's dunamis. It's the word by which we come by the English word dynamite. Or according to the effectiveness of his power. Paul is saying that the grace of God is power. The grace of God is powerful. The grace of God is powerful to save and to restore. The grace that God bestowed on Paul is a demonstration and manifestation of God's power. His power to save, his power to change, his power to transform. This is the power, Paul says, is behind his life and his ministry. Again, the grace, the mercy, the favor of God, Paul is saying, is a demonstration of his power. As Clinton Arnold writes in his commentary, Paul's example serves as an inspirational model and an instructive pattern to his readers. The powerful grace of God that they have experienced and their call to be his children and engage in a life of service will also be powerful and sufficient for them as it was for Paul. The grace that saved me and transformed me, that grace is powerful to save you and transform you. Verse 8, To me, the very least of all the saints, he's being brutally honest here, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So to me, the very least of all the saints. This is no false humility or false modesty here. Paul is reflecting, as he did several other occasions in his letters, on what he was before his conversion. He was an evil, vicious, vile man, a violent persecutor of Christ's church. Talk about transformation. The grace and mercy of God saved him. If there was ever a man that deserved hell, it was Saul of Tarsus. And he knew it. Now Paul is totally transformed. A champion of the church. A man who will change history in behalf of the kingdom of Christ. He serves the church. He suffers for the church. In particular for Gentile believers, former pagans. To bring them into the fold. This grace, this grace, the grace and favor of God to save was given to me to preach. Eugolizo in the Greek. To preach, to proclaim, good news, good news of a victory that has been won. Good news to Gentiles, the incomprehensible or unfathomable riches of Christ. The word that He uses, therefore unfathomable. I give it to you because it's very rare. Anexaronatos. It's an extremely rare word. In fact, my studies this week inform me that you will not find this word anywhere outside of Biblical Greek which leads us to believe Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, invented this word. As William Tyndall invented English words for his translation of the Bible, as William Shakespeare invented English words for his poetry and his plays, as Martin Luther invented words in the German for his translation of the Bible, the Spirit is inspiring Paul to invent compound words, to teach eternal truth. Anex The root of this word means to trace something out. To track something down. So this word in its compound form means unable to trace out, unable to track down, or unable to understand or comprehend. He's saying that the depth of the riches of the person and work of God the Son, it's too deep for us. You can't reach His limits. You can't plumb His depths. It's too deep, it's too great for us to properly grasp or comprehend. How inscrutable and unfathomable, Paul will say in another book, are the ways of God, working out the divine plan in and through Christ, God the Son. Verse 9, our next to last verse today. And to bring to light what is... Now, this is very hard to translate into English. I don't know what your English translation may say, but it will say something either... In, um, to bring to light what the administration or the plan... Of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, or let me offer another translation to bring to light for everyone what is this plan of the mystery, which was hidden for ages in God, the God who created all things. So another reason or purpose for God entrusting this ministry, this mission of grace to Paul, very simple. it's to enlighten people. It's to open their eyes to give them knowledge, give them wisdom, give them understanding, the most important knowledge they can ever receive. To bring to light the nature of God's plan of salvation to everybody who will place their faith in Christ and respond to this message of good news. Now what does he mean by this administration of the mystery, plan of the mystery? It's hard to translate into English what he says there. It means this, to enlighten people as to God's plan of salvation both Jew and Gentile. This plan devised in the mind and heart of God before He even created the universe. This plan summed up in Christ, all about Christ, which was a mystery, a mysterion, in the past, now again fully revealed. In this very special age, privileged age of history, the era of the church, the new covenant people of Christ, this plan hidden in God who created all things, isn't that interesting he mentions God again as creator why does he do that so by saying this by mentioning God as the originator of the plan the originator of the plan is a creator of all things by saying this Paul is stressing what one of my favorite doctrines in the Bible the absolute sovereignty of God as creator God the being who is absolute and ultimate reality his sovereignty over all things All things in creation, all things in this plan, all things that have happened, all things that are happening now, all things that will happen, all of the plan, all that is happening, this plan of salvation, it's no coincidence, it is no happenstance, it is no afterthought. He's reminding us gently again, it's a plan folks, it's all a plan. The sovereign plan of the sovereign God, it's His intention and it's His will, down to the last dot of the last eye. Verse 10, our concluding verse for the day. In order that the multifaceted, I like this translation better. Sometimes it's translated, usually as manifold. Um, Manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's not only to enlighten humanity. It's to enlighten the spirit beings and the spirit world as well as to what the divine plan is. S.M. Bao, he has his own, he's a wonderful New Testament Greek scholar and he offers this translation, so that through the church, this plan, through the church, the multifaceted wonderful wisdom of God might now be made fully known as well to the rulers and the authorities in the spirit realm. That's very interesting. Through God building His church, His redeemed people in Christ, which is happening right now, and it's going to continue till He comes back, the multifaceted wisdom of God and His divine plan as it's all taking place, it's being fully revealed to the spirit beings of the spirit world, holy angels and demons, fallen angels, Evil spirits. Remember, they are not omniscient. They are like us. They are created finite beings. They don't know everything, but it's being revealed to them as well. They're figuring it out. The plan's being revealed to them as well. You folks who have your ESV study Bible, look, consult your textual note on this verse. A few interesting remarks are made here. In this age, the era of the new covenant, that is, in contrast to the time before Christ's coming god's redemptive purposes are being made known and revealed to angels god's redemptive purposes are of interest to angels if you remember some time ago when we studied peter's two letters simon peter writes first peter chapter 1 verse 12 he explicitly states that the salvation of humanity is of intense interest to angels presumably holy angels and fallen angels demons. And the note continues, "...and the whole host of heaven, holy angels, are better able to glorify God when they behold and wonder what God has done and is doing in creating His church, His redeemed people," end quote, who, if I may add, are to bear His very image in eternity. Conversely, on the other hand, who else is watching? Who else is very, very interested Who else is learning? Evil spirits Angels Fallen angels Demons They are amazed At the plan being revealed They are amazed and they are enraged They are amazed and terrified At the power and plan Of the God against whom they have rebelled The God against Well, the God who has defeated them, hasn't He? and the God who will ultimately defeat them, and the God who has a plan which will bring about their final and ultimate judgment. For even they are no match for the sovereignty of God and the divine plan. Uh, Give Clinton Arnold the last word of the day from his commentary. He writes, Paul tells us that no person, no human being, no supernatural power could have figured out how God would unfold His plan. But now that it has been revealed and set in motion, one can only stand back and marvel at its extraordinary design. Now, I'm no prophet. Never was, I'm not now, and I never will be. And I wouldn't presume to tell you that I am. I think I can tell you this. No matter what you see raging around you in the world today, in this particular era of history, your generation or so in which you're living your life, it is part of the divine plan and it is ultimately under His control. And remember, Jesus told us 2,000 years ago look, history's going to be ugly and grim. There will be earthquakes, there will be plagues, there will be famines, there will be war after war after war after war after war, right until the moment I return. Heads up, watch for these things. This will be the natural course of history in this fallen world until I return. But be brave and be of good cheer and do your duty, for I have overcome the world. And do not be distressed, little flock. My Father has determined by divine plan to give you His kingdom. And no matter what goes on amongst the nations of the world today, whether they rise or whether they fall, it's not about them. It's about the church, the living temple of the people of God, the body and bride of Jesus Christ. You, the corporate people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, are the real movers and shakers in this world as part of a divine plan and a divine decree Not the UK, not the EU, not the United States, and not China, or anybody else. It's about the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this world, growing and spreading no matter how the enemy stomps and foams and rages. For the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Hasn't for 2,000 years, not now, and never will. It's all headed toward the end, the summing up of all things in Christ, the divine plan. When he returns, and it's all wrapped up in him. It's all about him and his bride and those who make up his bride. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. You have all the answers. Get out there and give the answers to those who desperately need the answers, who are drowning in darkness and lies. Right? Be brave, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. My divine Father has seen fit to give you his kingdom when that kingdom is consummated upon the return of the great king. As I've said before in this letter, and we'll say again in this letter, thank God for this letter. He gives you the big picture. He gives you the big plan. Never lose sight of that forest for the trees that we bump our noses up against on a daily basis. Sovereign or God or Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us. And redeeming us to bear your image, to know you, enjoy you, and to glorify you forever. To enjoy your perfect creation when it is restored. And the perfect people, plants, animals, trees, flowers, and all that will inhabit it. The perfect restored universe. As pristine and holy and wonderful, as it was originally intended to be and more so. Thank you for making us part of this divine plan. Never let us forget the divine plan especially in all the circumstances and situations that we face on a daily basis in this pilgrimage on our way to our eternal home. Never let us forget the divine truth that's been given to us in your word and to translate these words truly into action in our life. And we give you praise and honor and glory for all of these wonderful things that you have given to us. In the name of the great King, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. To dismiss, we will stand and sing today hymn number 339.